Welcome, everybody, to episode 32 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I am your host, Bo Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. Hello, hello, hello. Hope everybody is doing well today. Today, we wanted to take a moment, take a step back, and uh, as Dan put it before we started recording, have a gratitude session. We want to talk about positivity, the importance of being positive, and maybe highlight some positive things that are going on in the world. Um, both for ourselves, but also uh, maybe nationally, globally, um, intercontinental, what have you. Uh, for me personally, um, a few weeks back on a, one of the podcasts, I was talking about being quite anxious and stressed and um, talking through it helped helped me um, kind of unload some of that and feel better. But the last couple of days in particular, um, I've been feeling there's just so much negativity and like everyone has a threshold for how they can handle all the negativity that goes on around them. Some people who are more prone to say negative emotion than others um, probably feel like the world is uh, horrible and always negative. And so it's hard to live. And then there's people like me who 99% of the time don't really notice a lot of it and just move past it. But even I have my limits. And so it's, uh, um, there was, there seemed to be so much negative stuff in the news. Everything that I saw in the news was negative in some way, whether it was someone was being called out for something that, um, in a very negative light, maybe people were being blamed for stuff they didn't do. Maybe there was hyperbolic rhetoric that was just very inflammatory or, I mean, just, just everything seemed to be so negative focused. And um, it kind of got overwhelming. I was like, well, what should we talk about today? And I was like, well, there's, you know, 55 things that are in the news that are all horrible. And then there's like four things that no one's talking about. Um, And they're also very horrible. And I can speculate as to why no one's talking about them. And then that makes me angry because if the reasons why I think people aren't talking about them are right, then, you know, it's like, that's wrong too. It's there was just a lot. And I was like, maybe we should just talk about good stuff. Like, (laughs) you know, and I I don't want to, to, you know, kind of cat brush off the, uh, um, some of the things that have gone on over the last week or so, because I I am in part referring to some of the shootings that we've, we've seen and are that have occurred, uh, of course. And uh, there's been uh, two or three, at least, um, in, in America, uh, in the last week. And there's been a few other deaths or murders potentially, um, that have gone on that are less in the news. And, um, but it's just more so everything, the rhetoric is getting to me at the moment. And so, um, I thought it'd be nice to kind of talk about some good things. I actually stopped, um, reading, uh, I, I intentionally haven't started a book that I was going to read regarding critical race theory. Um, it's because, <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, I, it's like, I needed a break. You know, the, I had mentioned a podcast or two ago that I was going to start reading, um, um, faces at the bottom of the well, which is like a, one of the seminal works by Derek Bell, who's the, the considered the literal father of, uh, critical race theory as it's known in America. And, um, which again, to reiterate to any of our listeners is the sort of the foundational underpinning of, um, of like the, the, the woke, uh, social justice ideology that, uh, um, sort of dominates the, uh, the cultural and political uh, left, um, at the moment, he's he, he's the one who really started to he, adopt and 
or created the critical race theory from critical legal studies. And he wasn't the really the postmodernist. That was Kimberly Bell. He's much more meritocratic. He actually, uh, I guess, mentions in a lot of his work. Um, he, he's a big proponent of meritocracy. But um, like Kimberly Crenshaw. He, Kimberly Crenshaw, correct? Yeah, she. Um, you said Kimberly she's Crenshaw. the. Oh, sorry, Kimberly Crenshaw. Yeah, my bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, close, but not that close. Yeah, no, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw. She's much more the uh, direct pull from postmodernism and and whatnot. But whatever the case, I was going to read it all last week, and then I decided I needed a break from that, and I, I haven't touched the book since I read the introduction, and I'm probably going to wait another week and um, read some books that maybe are a little more positive, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just so I can take a break. Doctor Seuss, read man. Th- yeah, right. <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, I've uh, I've been reading through a lot of those books, and I, I think just with everything that's been going on, and as I get a deeper understanding for a lot of that stuff, I think it just um, the frustration mounts, and so I think I finally hit a point where it's like I, you know, um, maybe it's time to talk about good stuff, right? Like I, I didn't know this, but as I was researching this topic, um, the rate of extreme poverty in the world has been reduced to less than ten percent. Wow. Now, I I didn't look it up before we started, and that actually was my fault. I, I meant to, but I ran out of time. Um, I believe extreme poverty is like a, a dollar a day or something. It's like a very low amount by American standards. So if you could compare it to American standards, the, the rate of poverty in the world is probably like 30%. It's probably still pretty high. Um, but America is also like the most expensive place to live in the world. So um like our average, not quite, but like our average salaries are very high. And so, um, a comparison isn't necessarily, uh, realistic, right. but you know, like that was something cool that I didn't know that, you know, you hear a lot about there's hunger is a big issue, but 10% is not a lot of, that's a very small amount. Yeah, for sure. Like it's, that's just well, a small I, I number. Think, and so, um, was it, I think it was Steven Pinker that wrote and i forget the name of the book was it wasn't tribes uh, do you know the book i'm referencing that basically explains that uh, historically and evolutionarily speaking we're in the best time ever right now yeah um oh, crap if we can look that up and throw it in the show notes i apologize to the listeners um i believe it was stephen pinker but wrote a book uh, a, a few years ago explaining exactly that that as much uh you know strife and whatnot that we have in the world right now this literally is the best time to be alive so far in terms of life expectancy in terms of hunger in terms of general liberties um it's it's a it's a good tool just to put things in context and i think that um before we dig too deep into this conversation we can kind of set the stage in that I don't want to, to participate in some sort of Pollyanna head in the clouds type of thing where we you know, ignore all the bad shit. That's, that's not what we're doing. Um, no. But I think it's important to consciously uh, look at the bright side, so to speak, um, on a, a reasonably regular basis. And the reason for that is um, in, in an evolutionary sense, first of all, um, thinking, running these big-ass brains we got stuck in our skulls, is the most metabolically expensive thing you can do. It takes a lot of calories mm-hmm. to think. So in an evolutionary sense, um, if something is going to be expensive, then it needs to be justified. In order to justify thinking, 
it makes sense to prioritize um, finding and focusing on negative things. For yes. example, um, if you're hungry, you need to go find food. Say you go out, you kill some wild beastie, and now you've got food for a few days, and, and food is handled. You know you've got food, so you're not going to think about that as much. Your mind then naturally goes to, well, are we safe right now? Are we warm right now? Mm -hmm. Do we need to build up, you know, whatever. Um, so there, there's an evolutionary advantage to focusing on negative things when it comes to survival. Um, and I only say all that just to let people know that, that you know, it's normal to look at the negative things. It's healthy to look at negative things. Where it gets to be a challenge is if you do it too much or if you forget to balance that out with some of the positive. Because particularly in today's insanely fast-paced environment, uh, it can be quite overwhelming. And particularly in the last year with the you know, lockdowns and everything, it, unprecedented and countless ways that you can get yourself into a really deep funk. Yes. Um, and, 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 you know, reasonably so. It's, it's been super fucked. Um, but if we consciously choose to see, all right, as super fucked as it's been, what are some of the good things going on that can help balance things out mentally, which mm -hmm. then makes you more capable of handling said problems. Now, if you get overwhelmed, you're not doing shit. You're overwhelmed. But if you can balance it out, then you can come in a much more uh, uh, constructive and proactive way to handle the actual problems. So yeah, that's so just a big fat justification for occasionally stepping back and looking at the bright side. Yeah, it's a recalibration. Yes, yes, recalibration. Um, something that relates to this that I often do. And I'll do, I do this with myself, but this, this will come up with, uh, with my girlfriend as well when, uh, um, she's m much more stressed all, all the time than I am. She's uh, much more uh, prone to, to stress and negative emotion than I am. And so I'm, I'm pretty much always the one who's like, okay, let's calm down. Let's, everything's going to be okay. Like that's, this is, this is not something that we need to stress too much about, or let's, let's work through this, that kind of thing. Um, but one of the questions I always ask myself or her, or some, some variation of this question is, um, excuse me, is basically, can this particular problem reasonably result in like the world ending or losing your job or cause somebody injury or death? And I asked that question because generally the answer is almost always no. So it's kind of a hyperbolic question where it's like, you know, you're worried about, you know, X, did we feed the cat on time? Is someone going to die from this? Or will you like, you know, you're worried you might've sounded stupid in a meeting. Like, are you going to lose your job? Or it's just, just like a personal pride issue. Um, and I actually find that with myself, it helps all the time. Um, with her, I think it helps a good amount of the time. Um, where it's like you can kind of rekick because I think what happens is, you know, you said we have a proclivity towards negative emotion evolutionarily. And so we, we need to be attuned to that. We're in an era now where that's debatable. Um, you know, you said Steven Pinker mentioned that we're the safest we've ever, that like the, the most prosperous and best time to live is now. And it's like some people may disagree, but virtually everyone in America, let's say, in, a, in, in a, um, the Western world, could reasonably go an entire day, if not an entire year, without ever actually being in a life or death situation. Yeah, for sure. That's not that's not unreasonable. And there are exceptions to that. And there are actually places, let's say, even within America where that is not true. Um, but 
there are reasonable ways to get out of all of those situations. They may be difficult, and you know, we could maybe have a podcast about the difficulties of, say, staying out of the gang life, because gang life is very violent and often leads to death, as an example. Um, and so I'm not suggesting that you can just get up and leave um, and walk away. But uh, my point is that for basically everybody, you could at least go a day without being in immediate danger. And that's crazy. That's a crazy thing to realize. And so I, I think that it, even if you start at something that's so large, like, okay, I'm having a problem, I'm super stressed out, will this cause the world to end, right? Does this, you know, will this blow up Russia and then we're in World War Three, right? Will this destroy the ozone and then we're just going to fry? Like, am I going to get cancer and die immediately? If none of those things are true, it's like, okay, what's the next step? You know, let, let's break it down to something more local. You know, it's, can I lose my job? Probably not. Should I apologize? Eh. And then you can, then you can start to work with reasonable options because you get super stressed and everything's unreasonable. It's like everything is bad. What do I do? Um, there's no correct solution. If I do something, there's all the bad options that'll come from it. And that's not conducive, right? It's like you're just kind of paint yourself into a box where nothing you do is right and everything is wrong, you know? And so... Uh, I like to ask that question personally and, and then just work my way from there. Um, well, you know, I think you hit on the key there as well uh, in that um, the very best way to consciously drive your thoughts is the questions that you ask yourself. Yeah. Right. If you're, if you're um, presented with a question, whether you're asking yourself or someone else is act, asking you, your brain automatically searches for answers to that question. You can't help it. Um, whether or not you indulge in it further is up to you, but that's just kind of the automatic response that your brain does. So if you use that to your advantage, you can ask yourself you know, mm -hmm. more empowering questions, more positive questions, particularly if, uh, if things are really fucked and if you are kind of spiraling into some negativity, then to genuinely ask yourself questions like, uh, you know, as bad as this is, what's good about it? Yeah. Um, how can I make this better? Uh, who can help me with this? Things like that. Um, and it's not always super easy. Again, this isn't Pollyanna, but it is a very effective tool. And if you, if you genuinely commit to it to yourself, and what I mean by that is um, don't ask yourself sarcastically because you know when you're being sarcastic with yourself, so that's not going to work as well. But if you take a small leap of faith and trust that, if you ask yourself the question, you know, what is good about this, that somewhere, somehow, there is an actual answer to that, and you can find something good, and then just just focus on that question. And eventually, usually, not always, but usually, uh, something will perkle up that you were not thinking about. So, okay, at least I yep. got this going for me. Um, or it may even um, uh, open up solutions to the problem itself. Uh, just by looking at it from a different way, with a different, uh, a different attitude about it, then you may realize, oh, that's right. I got this thing working for me with regards to that problem, and that would actually help me fix it and, and kind of drive in, in that direction. Um, I looked up the book. It is Enlightenment Now by Steven Pinker okay. uh, from nice. 2018. Great book. Great book. Sweet. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Um. I want to touch on something you had said towards the end there um, before you mentioned Steven Pinker's book. It's uh, about problem solving versus uh, like 
finding solutions to problems. Mm -hmm. um, as I was writing up my notes for this, one of the things that came up is that I, and I think this parallels what we're discussing, is people, I think people too often focus on problems and not solutions. Yes. And, you know, a cursory uh, a glance at that statement may not seem like a problem. It's like, oh, you know, like we, we got to identify problems so that we can solve them. And it's like, that's very true. And, um, but, and I can, I can break down an example, one that we've brought up ad nauseum on our podcast, but, but, but um, I, I think it's important to, when you calibrate to not get so focused on the problems that you're blind to solutions. Um, and the example that I would get, or the tangent would be, um, uh, this is the major problem that I, one of the major problems that I see with critical race theory um, in particular is that it's, I mean, they literally, one of the foundational tenets of it is to problematize things, is to literally find problems with everything. Yep. And that's not actually being hyperbolic. That's stated. In, 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 it's one of their stated goals. Um, that's baked in. Yeah, it's it's actually a feature, not a bug. But, um, and so it's like a, it's taking what we're saying to a literal extreme, but the actual movement is literally extreme. So that's why it's not the the center left; it's the far left, right? Is that it's it's yeah. it's an ideology that is only one sided, which by virtue makes it actually um, quite fringe, or I shouldn't say fringe; it makes it um, extreme. But and it's slowly creeping its way into the mainstream, which is a separate thing. But um, the problem with that, uh, I guess, pun intended, but um, is that when you only focus blindly on solutions, you actually don't, or problems, you don't actually see the solutions in front of you. And, and so that's why, say, with critical race theory, um, everything is a problem, and then you see more and more problems because you're focused on them. So you obviously find what you expect to see. And that's, uh, I forget the fallacy, but it's a, it's a, it's a logical fallacy, right? It's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of, I think that these things are problems. And so when I look for these problems and everything, I, I end up finding them, you know? Um, and so, uh, but then if you're not open to solutions, then you end up choosing bad ones. If right. Any. So, yeah. <laughs> if, and if so you like, choose a solution, then just whatever you are afraid of happens. Yeah. And, and, and I can give an example of about a solution and we've talked about this before, but, um, under the one of the core tenets of anti-racism, which is a part of uh, critical race theory, is that um, if, if racism is enacted that leads to equitable outcomes, then it's anti-racist, so it's good. But if racism or discrimination um, leads to inequitable outcomes, then it's racist. So the, the solution here, which is a bad one, is that racism is good if things are equal, but bad if it's unequal. Which, is, which makes no sense, but yeah. Which makes no sense be, <laughs> because it's racism. But that is a current but, ideology. And, right, and so, and like, you know, we, we, we rail against this a lot. And so I actually tried to think of a, a better example. This is just the one that popped into my head, and I, I couldn't really think of other ones that um, would hit home as well. Because I, I hate to pick on critical race theory so much. It is mostly what we do. Um, but uh, uh, It's got it coming. I think it does, um, but in an attempt to try and uh, to to be a, a, apolitical, <laughs> uh, maybe I'll spend the next six months reading about all the dumb stuff that uh, um, the Tea Party does, and we can uh, critique them for a while. But yeah. uh, but that, Is that, that was kind of a thing. 
I that's the thing is I, I um, I'm not sure. A few years ago, yeah. I if I was to take the news at its word, um, uh, then parties like that and white supremacist groups are like everywhere and on the rise so much that it's like a legitimate problem. Though, um, as I understand it, that while they may be on the rise. Uh, whatever that's supposed to mean. It's not near as bad as it was, let's say, in the 60s. Yep. Um, so uh, it, it's hard to quantify that, though. I, I don't really... I haven't done enough research to know sort of how those numbers break down and, and how you could correlate them. I'll plug Enlightenment now again, because that's precisely what he does. He actually you know, pulls up the numbers and compares... Um, goes you know pretty far back, not just uh, a couple of decades, but uh, historically to see the numbers of where we were and where we are yeah. now sheds a lot of light on it. Right. No, I mean you, yeah. you're totally right. It's it's and it's very common for people to get hyper focused on the problem without actually looking for solutions. And the the metric that mm -hmm. I learned years ago and you know do my best to apply is focused. 10% uh, of your time on the problem and 90% on the solution. So like that. you can't ignore the problem. You have to identify it. You want to get as clear a picture of what it actually is as possible. But beyond mm -hmm. that, don't dwell on it. It's, it's not useful to you at all. You should shift your focus to how to, uh, how, or how to find a solution for that problem. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, this actually, uh, when I was right, because I was thinking about kind of what you're discussing and I didn't come up with like a, a Pareto distribution, like a 1090 or an 80, 20 focus. But what came to mind is, um, how, how jujitsu is often learned, especially by people who get more advanced and actually understand how to efficiently learn jujitsu is exactly what you're describing, you know, and, um, we talk a lot about jujitsu, of course, because it's, uh, because it mirrors awesome life. Everybody should train. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and it mirrors life so much. But in jujitsu, you're presented with problems constantly, and the reason that world champions win so much more than others is in part athleticism, but it's not everything. Um, it's because the highest level athletes solve those problems more efficiently. That's, I mean, really what it boils down to is that they're, they're just better at solving those problems more efficiently. And so you, you watch, um, a, a top, like a regional black belt. So a black belt, let's say that's would win regional titles and maybe win a couple of IBJJF opens on the West coast only, or might win the West coast ADCD, ADCC trials or get second or third, like someone who's good. Um, but has never meddled at ACC, ADCC at all versus the ADCC champion. And it, it, it won't look like what it always looks like when a purple belt rolls with a day one white belt with no athletic experience whatsoever. Because that just looks like a slaughter if you're being an asshole. Yeah. It'll look like the ADCC champion is way better, but it'll take a minute or... Uh, um, when Gordon Ryan uh, uh, um, grappled against, uh, what was it, a... Uh, Roberto Jimenez a few weeks ago, that young kid who's like a new black belt. And he's like, I'll, I'll challenge you. And he like attacked him I for like 10 minutes. Okay. Um, it was really good. It went on for like, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. Um, like 
this guy is not on the level of Gordon Ryan. Like, it's very clear that he's not on the level at all. And I think he knew that. I think everyone knew that. And it was a joke. But at no point did I think Roberto Jimenez was a shitty jiu-jitsu player. It was just clear to everyone that Gordon Ryan knew exactly what he was doing and systematically went through and took his time, let him play because there were like three submissions he let go and and then finished him when he wanted to. So it was kind of a play, but it was it was nothing like what you would see with someone with no experience. And so um, anyways, uh, to back to my point is that the, the problem solving is that in order to be good, you have to be good at problem solving. But in order to problem solve, you actually have to be able to identify problems. Right. And so you can't just focus on like you have to at some point focus on the problem in order to identify it and figure out why you fail. Yeah, um, absolutely. But and that's why I like the 90-10 thing you were mentioning is that um, you need to spend some amount of time understanding exactly what the problem is. Otherwise, like you just don't know. And then you were talking about Pollyanna head in the clouds. Um, that sort of naivete is what comes into play if you don't realize it. If, if like you never explain, let's say, to use the jujitsu example, why a black belt or why a white belt or like a kid um, or a blue belt or whoever fails at a certain concept or technique or movement or whatever over and over and over again, they'll never learn because they're not even aware it's a problem. Right. Right. If like, if the problem is like their alignment, the way their body is, you know, how, what direction they're going, like they're grabbing their wrong limb to, to you know, to form a lever or whatever. It, sometimes they just can't even conceptualize that it's an issue that they're failing at. They think they're, if they just like move faster, they'll win. And it's like, that's not how it works. Like you need to be aware of the problems, but if all you do is focus on the problem, then you can't actually do anything else, which is, I think the problem that like day one white belts run into when someone gets on top of them and mount or uh, side control is they're so focused on the actual problem of being smothered that they can't do anything else. Right. Well, and I'm um, to, to go back to, I like how you phrase that in terms of understanding the problem. So it's not just finding the problem. You can say, oh, this is a problem and it's terrible uh, and, and stop thinking about it there um, mm -hmm. or just focus on that for all your time. But once you identify it, being able to understand it, yeah. you know, what is this problem? Why is it a problem? Why is it happening now? Why is it happening in this situation, et cetera? Um, those kind of details will naturally point you in the direction of working solutions, Right, exactly. But if you, yeah. if you just, you know, find a problem and stop there, oh, found a problem, 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 um, that's not helping anything. But if you find the problem and then understand the problem and then start working towards solutions, that's how you uh, could potentially get rid of the problem rather than just bitching about it. No, very true. I have um, was actually thinking about this quite a bit over the last uh, few days because um, we're going to be open our gym back up next week and uh i'll be starting to teach kids and that like that this is a that's a big part of teaching kids classes is being very simple and picking and choosing which how, one problem that you try and address and work through over the course of a week because i can't throw seven moves at a, at kids over the course of a week it doesn't work they're too young and so it's like, you, I got adults either. <laughs> no, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> people do seminar. it. Or, yeah. And even then I don't think it should be done in a seminar, but it, people do it though. Like that's actually a very common way to teach is so yeah. throughout the course of a week, you'll learn two moves a day, five days a week. And then, you know, uh, 10 moves, a, 10 moves a week. And then you'll lose 500 moves a year. And it's like, 
hopefully you remember a half of one from every week. Yeah, and it's, uh, that's yeah. that's 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 generous, right? Like the average black belt probably uses 15 moves, <laughs> yeah. you know, like in, in a given, in, in a given role, like maybe 30, it's like, you can't really hold that much more, you know, and that they're good at. Right. And so, um, with kids, you gotta be like, here's, I'm going to make you aware of a problem that you didn't even know existed. Right. And then I'm going to show you one way to solve the problem using a concept that will work if you try and solve it other ways. Um, Right. Like as an example, using frames to stop someone from passing your guard. Yeah. Right. You can always, if someone moves, you know, misaligns your spine, puts your knees one direction and your face is the other, then they're going to go to knee ride or uh, mount or uh, side control. You can frame with your hands, but you also have feet. You can regard with your feet, which is a frame. You can put your foot in the hip. You can invert and then square back up again and frame. Like there's a lot of ways to frame. Um, you can frame with your elbows instead of your hands. Uh, you can come up into, into some kind of combat base and frame. Like, you know, there's obviously lots of examples and you don't want to teach 30 of them because they just won't remember them. But if you explain what frames are and then show a frame, you can say now develop your own frames, right? And then you can solve your own problems yeah. um, instead of just ha focusing only on the problems and giving them more and more problems. And then they just get overwhelmed because they're like, I don't know how to deal with all these things. Um, so I actually wonder if that's partly why I wanted to talk about um positivity today is because I've been thinking about how to teach for the last like week really intensely. And so as not to like burn kids out and make everything very negative. Cause that's a problem, you know, is you give them too much to do and they just like, don't know what to do anymore. And, and kids have short attention spans generally. And so it's, um, and so the, the, the positivity then would be like, okay, solve the problem, win the game, learn why it works, not just that it's a move, but learn why it works. Like I'm a big fan of conceptualized conceptual jujitsu. I don't like, here's how you do an arm bar if you're in guard, right? Or if this person puts his hand here, you triangle. I'm like, I don't like that kind of stuff. I, I, I don't do very well that way. I, I want to understand why a triangle works so that if his hands in that position anywhere, I can just do it, yep. you know? Um, and then I can figure that out on my own and troubleshoot the weird movements and the angles that are different, that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so solutions, not problems, yep. I think is a, is a big one. Um, it actually reminded me a bit when I was, uh, thinking about this, um, I had made a note, uh, to, to clean your room. Jordan Peterson says that he's like, clean your yep. room. Yep. Um, you know, and, uh, that's as, as I wrote notes and I was like trying to, I, I made it from positivity to clean your room. Very, very quick, very quickly, actually. And I was like, oh, we're like basically back to our first podcast in like five minutes. I was like, oh, I can just because <laughs> we talked about personal responsibility on day one. Yep. Um, and uh, which may be an odd thing to think of from a, like a positivity standpoint. It's like I don't really think of people probably don't think of cleaning their room as like that's part of being positive or I think maybe pro a solution looking solution oriented thinking as being positive. But um I actually look at it that way. That's how I look at being positive. I don't look at it necessarily as like, um, I look at it in part as like, oh, things are going to be okay. Like this isn't as bad as you think, like we're going to survive. Yeah. That's, that's part of positivity for me, but positivity for me is also like moving forward. Right. So if I have problems, it's like, how do I move forward from this yeah. as opposed to staying stagnant or going backwards, which I would consider a negative, um, as, as I think would most people in, 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 in most regards. 
I'm so thought that that made me laugh. I was just like, "Oh, clean your room." <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, let's uh, let's freestyle some examples here. Um, and I intentionally, like we talked about this a little while ago, in terms of uh, doing a, a positive episode this time, I was like, "Nope, I'm not gonna." Because uh, initially I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna think of a bunch of examples so I have them ready for the podcast." I was like, "What if I didn't do that? And what if we kind of freestyle it on the spot, uh, hopefully as an example?" For you know anybody listening, it's like okay, this, that's actually what it looks like when you're in the moment. You're busy. You got stuff going on. You're like, all right, I just mm-hmm. need to shift my focus a little bit. Um, so, well, one thing, and this will sound a little bit odd, is uh, physically, I'm pretty sore right now. Um, it's not exactly comfortable. How is that positive? You ask. Thank you for asking. Um, it's positive because, for me, again, this is personal, um, but this last weekend. Uh, I had quite a bit of work to do. This was paid work, which is fantastic during a pandemic. Um, so I was busy doing productive and financially beneficial things. Um, it was physically somewhat difficult. We, uh, we were setting up a bunch of event lights that required these um, bases to be set up for some lighting. And we put these weights on them, 100-pound weights, had 10 of those. So literally moved 1,000 pounds a few times over the weekend. Um, and what that boils down to is in effect, I got paid to work out mm-hmm. and if I choose to frame it like that, like, Oh, this is awesome. Not only did I get paid, but I got a w- good workout. The fact that I'm sore is evidence that it was, uh, an effective enough workout to stimulate some growth. So yep. I, you know, I will get just a little bit stronger after that, um, and when I, when I choose to look at it that way, right, like, oh, I feel so bad and I don't want to do anything. I don't want to go. And I was like, no, it's, it's great. I did solid work. I got paid for it. I'm physically sore, which means I'm going to get stronger after it. Um, that's, that's a win all around. So that's, that's an example off the top of my head. I'm, I am grateful that I am sore right now. Yeah. I like the reframe. That uh, was one of the things I had written a little bit about when I was making my notes is that how people frame and think about their world um, can change their perception. And that, that seems pretty obvious, but um, often a simple reframe is all it takes to look at things much more positively. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so one for me, uh, I got to see my family for the first time in a, uh, uh, over a year. Oh, nice. How'd that go? It was good. Um, seeing my family can be stressful because I don't see them often and it's been 15 months. And so, um, so, you know, it's a lot of social interaction. Um, it's a lot of social interaction and my family talks a lot. And even though it was uh, a fairly small get together, um, with people who, with the exception of my mom, um, who were uh, all vac- completely vaccinated, um, it was still, uh, like, yeah, sometimes I was just like exhausted from, smiling so much i hate you know, it's too much smiling like i'll smile sometimes if i have to but like i don't <laughs> like i, I don't I'm like using it. that as a quote i'll smile sometimes if i have to bo richards yeah it's it's not my not my not my favorite thing to do um this is a slight side tangent i think i've uh, um, told stories like this before but um my uh when I first met my girlfriend, she was uh, hired as the receptionist at my old job and I was a salesman. And so 
every now and again we get jokes about the office the show because it was similar in that show but um she said one of the things that she thought was cute is that i had like a like a resting angry face it's like i was was cute yeah she she thought it was yeah anyways um and then uh there was this team building exercise that we had all done and we had to say one thing that we we had to say something that we liked about everyone else in the in our 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 co-workers and when it was her turn she said something she liked that she like enjoyed about me she said that um i was angry but light and so Mm. she um or no serious but light sorry it was serious but light yeah and um and the the one of my coworkers that was next to her, her name was Marilyn. She was like in her late seventies and she actually didn't have the best hearing. Um, she literally turned to her and she goes, did you just call him a serious butt wipe? (laughs) (laughs) She had said it kind of fast. So, uh, anyways, um, so a lot of social interaction, a lot of smiling, a lot of talking, trying to catch up and, and stuff like that. Um, but, and so sometimes I'd just be exhausted and like, you could look at that sort of at a negative, like you go down and it's like kind of a stressful environment because you're seeing your family and everything's loud and it's cramped and there's a pandemic. And, um, but even when I was exhausted from socializing, um, it was nice to just sit back and be like, I got to see my family for the first time in 15 months. Like, and I love my family. Like I don't see them enough and I plan to see them more when time allows. And, uh, it was really good to be able to just sit and, you know, have a drink and uh, just, you know, relax and talk about fun things and, um, and the like. And, you know, my, my family, they like to watch, you know, CNN and Fox News and um, MSNBC and all the political TV shows. So there was way more political talk than I ever, ever care to have. Um, I only like, I don't even like political stuff, but I only look it up sometimes because we talk about it often but they're you know they're average americans who this is what they watch on tv is is the this is what's on tv you know it's this or some kind of a weird reality tv show about like cars or pawn shops or duck dynasty like you know that kind of thing and so like these are blue collar americans right so um I don't know cable, so I don't watch any of this stuff. And like, you know, they're watching news at five in the morning and I'm like, I don't, I don't care about any of this, but I wouldn't trade it for anything just because I want to see my family. Like it, if I have to endure, um, the differing political opinions of my family and possible political arguments and things over, uh, what, you know, whatever they may happen to be, it's like, that can be a negative to some people, but it's like, I, I get to see my family. And so I'll take it, you know? Yeah, I don't. Um, I fucking love it, you know. And uh, my parents just moved. Um, and then my my grandmother and my mo- and my parents they uh, switched homes. Um, my grandma used to live in the woods, and she, as she gets older, and her uh, her spouse died. Um, it's easier to be in town, and so it was really nice to like stay up at in the woods where I grew, you know, cause like I used to go up there all the time with her and my, say with her and my grandpa and run around, they got like 14 acres and, um, it was really cool just to like hang out away from a city and there's like no noises oh, yeah. and all you hear at night is like crickets and frogs and 
the occasional twig snap when a coyote's running by, like things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was just it was very uh, very cool. You know, uh, I haven't seen fog lift from uh, from like water and from like grass in years. And um, so that was, that was kind of cool. Like as the sun rises, like the fog will lift up because it gets a little foggy, just things yeah. like that, you know. Cool. Um, yeah, no, it was a very positive experience, even though it was a bit of a drive. But uh, but yeah. Nice, nice. Let's see. It was, a nice, re- it was a nice recalibration, you Good. know, just to, to get away. Good. You feel yourself be a little more relaxed now that you're back? Yeah, I do, actually. I um. I didn't realize, I think, how much I actually missed seeing my family. Because after a time, you just sort of forget. You know, like I knew I wanted to see my family and, like, it had been a while and that I was going to see them and that it, it sucked not being able to see them very much. But I, I don't, you know, until you go and check that off the list, so to speak, right, it's, I don't think I realized, like, exactly how much uh, I was actually missing them. Yeah. I was kind of numb, I was kind of numb to those those feelings. Um because they had become the normal for 15 months, you know? Yeah. And it's like, part of me is like every weekend now I just want to go home. It's obviously not, fe- it's obviously not feasible, but um, you know, it's like, I, I just want to go down and see him more and, and hang out more and just chat and hopefully talk about less politics. Cause that wasn't my favorite part, but, <laughs> um, but you know, it, still it's like, just make fires and sit outside and drink moonshine. Um, because members of my family make moonshine. <laughs> Fun. So <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Hopefully, and, hopefully, you know, no one who works for the government who will figure that out and get them in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I think that's still illegal. I'm not sure. Yeah, but, uh, they got other things to worry about right now. Yeah. Um, and you know, if anything, we're we're pointed in the right direction, just in terms of vaccines and everything. So I doubt you'll have to wait another 15 months to see your family again. So no, because good. they're my mom will be getting her vaccine soon. She's actually been eligible for um, since the vaccines rolled out. Uh, she works for um, the uh, the Indian tribe, and so they extended the vaccine to all of the the employees that are there. Um, That's cool. Right. Yeah, and so they you know, and she's also you know married to uh, a member of the Indian tribe. My stepfather. And so um, she would qualify regardless because she's in the in the household with him. But she has a um, an egg allergy, and so she's been a little ner- and she works from home, so she has been nervous to take it until she gets more data, and she hasn't needed it because she doesn't see anybody. And um, I was like, just get it. Like, there's it's like three in a million cases for people with allergies. You know, it's not very many that have problems. And so, and you have that's, a, that's on the low side, isn't it? Statistically for any type of vaccine. Yeah, of it is. Yeah. And she, she has a mild egg allergy. It's not even, it's raw eggs only. And it's, she gets like a little puffy and like a little red eyed. It's not good, but it's, uh, it's not Will Smith from a hitch or anything like that. It's, <laughs> you know, when he, he gets like the, the, the chipmunk or not even chipmunk face. She just gets like that holy swole face. Yeah. Um, no, it's just like, she gets a little puffy and you can kind of tell like her face looks a little fatter, but that's about it. Um, and her eyes get a little bloodshot, but it's, I was like, you're, you're going to be fine. Like that's my girlfriend has risk. like, yeah. yeah, it's like my girlfriend has, you know, 30 allergies. Like you're good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think she's going to get it too, which will be nice because she's the only one in her family who's not fully vaccinated. So, um, 
I mean, she's the the most stressed and nervous about COVID out of all of them too. So it's like she's like I it's the one person who would get vaccine get vaccinated like as soon as possible as like the highest risk of having an issue. <laughs> and it's like you know, whereas I'm just like, eh, okay, you know, it's fine. We're gonna live. We'll be good. Stay away from people. <laughs> like I have like not a, I'm I have like a, not much of a care in the world. Like I understand the risks, of course, and you know we've talked about those, and like I, I get them. But it, uh, my level of stress is extremely low when it comes to this stuff. It's yeah. you know until the data comes out that says, "Oops, we lied." You know, we didn't know. Like masks don't work. Like you're all fucked. <laughs> then I might be a little you know then I might be a little stressed because I'm the one who goes to the store with a mask. You know, but when you consider that that isn't the case and that you know there's been probably like what 500 protests uh over the last year um whether they're politically left or right or um peaceful or violent have been irrelevant and there has apparently not been at all a surge in cases as a result of any of those um you know that tells yeah. me that being outside is just outside, fine yeah. though though there there is some news outlets that claim that uh, there's been no surge when it's been left-leaning protests, but there has been a, an outbreak when it's been right-leaning protests. And I'm actually not making that up. There actually has been some outlets that have stated that that that's the case. So somehow it's political, but um, I don't want to get into that at all. Because yeah, it, I, th I think the I details think would be more... important there. The, the couple of times yeah, that I, I went and marched, everybody was wearing masks, and the, the more right-leaning protests and stuff from last year it seemed like hardly anybody wore a mask. So there, there's some some differences there. It, it's yeah, it's possible that there might be a little bit of validity to that. But I I remember reading that a few months ago, and basically the accusation was right wingers, by virtue of their politics, spread COVID more when they go and protest. Right. Well, you know, I mean, uh, along those lines, I think it's it's definitely worth acknowledging and uh, having a little gratitude to. The fact that we developed these vaccines so incredibly fast. And you know, we, we've talked about the mismanagement in general and this, that, and the other. But in under a year, we had, what, three vaccines and then several to come up behind that? That is, that's incredible that we, we live in a time where a vaccine could be produced that quickly. And now that we're, you know, finally starting to turn the corner in terms of the, the national situation with COVID, um, it, without that vaccine, obviously, that would have never happened. So, you know, and it's another way of saying this could have been a whole lot worse. Yeah, it could have been handled better, but it could have been a whole heck of a lot worse. And we are now, it appears, starting to turn the corner to get back to whatever the, you know, the new normal is going to be. Hopefully. Um, so... Yeah, I, I definitely have a, a big appreciation for that. Aside from all the politics, just as a scientific achievement, that's pretty fucking incredible. Yeah, that's definitely a positive that we should take for today is that yeah. like both nationally and internationally, the scientific community rallied together, the virology community and immunology communities, all, all that, like they produced three vaccines like that's fucking crazy. Yeah, that's just that's absolutely incredible, and the level of like by like partisan support that's required for bipartisan um, support that's required from different countries is unheard of. You know, I, I countries don't generally, as far as I'm aware, work 
together this closely and share information like this. I mean, th there's still questions about the virus origin because China most likely doesn't seem to want to be working with everyone else over all the data. There's like it, big questions on that. In fact, maybe we should do a podcast on that coming up because that's definitely. I think so. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, th that sort of thing is very common. And, and yet the communities were able to come together and say, you know what, we're going to fast track everything, which doesn't get done. Um, they actually, from what I understand, did a pretty decent job of clinical trials and including different types of people. Um, you know, this has been reported on before, but one big consideration was that a large number of uh, vaccine trials over the decades have, you know, mostly included just in America in particular, white people, because yep. it's the majority whites. And I mean, I think people forget, but the U.S. is like 76 percent white. And so it makes sense that a large percentage would of clinical trucks would be of whites. But, um, you know, there's been underrepresented people of color. And so if there are differences biologically between say whites and people of color, and sometimes there can be, um, based on, you know, ethnicity where they're from and stuff like that, um, that can have drastic effects. And so they did a good job of like checking those things as I understand it. Now it may not have been perfect and there may have been some things that they still didn't, they needed to do. But from my recollection, they, they did a, at least a better job than typical of that sort of thing so that we don't have a virus that works for white people. And then it's not only is it, it or a vaccine that works for white people, but the virus doesn't work for people of color. And then you have our vaccine and then you have a virus and a vaccine, either of which actually help people of color and just, or they're disproportionately, uh, you know, affected by it. Yeah. It's like now, now they're just all fucked. It's like, they're getting, they're getting COVID more, they're dying more from it. And then the vaccine kills them. It's like, well, now you're screwed, you know? And so, um, it was, uh, I was in like, no one's really talked about that. Well, you know, I'll, I'll actually, I'll play off of that to say that I'm also grateful as fucking messy as it has been and continues to be. The conversation of race is taking place. Yes. Um, as we've talked about a whole bunch, of course, we don't think it's happening correctly, but it's still a conversation that does need to happen. Um, yes. You know, and we're, we're not post-racial. And I think we still have quite a bit of work to do uh, on that front uh, as a country and, you know, even globally. But I'll, I'll uh, uh, hold my concern just at the, our country's borders. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that, that does need to be addressed. It is getting addressed. Again, maybe we don't agree with the direction it's being taken, but at least it's being talked about. Um, and I, I definitely don't want to lose the positive from that. Um, I'm glad you, uh, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm glad you actually brought that up because um, I had mentioned earlier that um, you know, we spend a lot of time criticizing and, and, and shitting on critical race theory and... Um, and I, I think it, they, they deserve it a lot, a lot of it, and then they have it coming. But it's, I think, proper and correct. And I applaud you for talking about some of the positives, which is what you're saying is that um, we're actually having a conversation about it. And that camp is directly responsible for that. As much as I think they're fucking it up, they're directly responsible for that. And one of my favorite, one of the favorite lessons I've ever learned from Jordan Peterson 
and I've heard this before. My grandfather used to give me similar advice when I was a kid. It, he said it differently, but it meant the same thing. And, um, and Jordan Peterson didn't cuss when he said it, but I'm probably going to, which is to make a shitty plan and then follow through with it versus because a shitty, a shitty plan is better than no plan at all. Yeah. Right. And, um, and the whole idea is that people get locked up, not doing anything when they see problems and they get, they get, um, you know, the, they become the possum or the deer in the headlights, right? They yeah. freeze. And it's like, just make a shitty plan. Even if you know it's shitty, make it. Now, I don't think that the critical race theorists know that their plan is shitty. So that's a separate thing. But, um, but the point still remains is that you make a shitty plan and at least you start it and then you can correct it along the way. Um, my concern, obviously, and we don't have to really get into this too much, is that um, they don't allow for people to correct the problem because they're it, it's because uh, um, they, they don't allow for it. It actually is antithesis to what they want. It's ideological. And so there's no dissent, but um, which is a problem that actually needs to be corrected so we can actually have legitimate conversations and, and actually solve legitimate problems. But I think you're totally correct to bring up that fact. And I think it's something that should be celebrated more like. I think it I think it gets celebrated a little bit. I think that people do bring up the fact that we're more prosperous, that we're having these conversations that um that I think as a culture, you know, we had done pretty well for the 40 years, 50 years post 19, you know, Civil Rights Act. Um we'd made progress in the 70s and 80s and 90s and 2000s maybe. Dare I say we have, I maybe we have or had had um but I think it gets stamped down and that's obviously a problem, but I think acknowledging that, look, like we're not perfect. And I don't even know what post-racial is like, what is that supposed to be? Like humans are biased. So it's not entirely clear to me that we'll ever be in a place that's technically post-racial. No, I, I don't think it's possible. Right. But I, I think we can hit a point where, um, and maybe if we, if it's defined uh, in a certain way we can, and maybe that's something we should aspire to, but I think that it's important to better to acknowledge that, hey, look, we're having these conversations. Now, how do we tweak them so that we're having them properly? Like, what does properly look like? Maybe properly really is stigmatizing and um, essentializing an entire race of people to make up for 400 years of injustice. Maybe that's actually the correct way to fix this problem is to say, look, you took 400 years of from us, so we're going to take 400 years from you, and then in the year 2400, everything will be fine. Um <laughs> Somehow I don't think it'll I, shake out that way. But yeah. No, I, I, don't, I don't either. I don't. I don't think an eye for an eye works. But um, really, ever, uh, I, 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 there's, I, I, if there is, I could probably think of maybe a, a time when it would work, but very rarely do I think it does. Um, that's kind of you know, as a slight tangent, that's sort of the. That's how mafias rule. And like cartels rules is an eye for an eye. And uh, often it's usually like an eye for two eyes and so, or two eyes for an eye or whatever. And so, and what happens is that everyone dies. Yeah. Right. And so like, it doesn't seem to me to be a sustainable model. Um, but uh, anyways, back to the positive. Yeah. I, I think that the fact that people are having conversations as badly as that may be done or as uncomfortable as it may be, it's like, at least it's starting. Um because I'm not convinced that the that the problem is not to have conversations at all. Some people like it, it's not clear to me that say colorblindness is actually the way to go. I don't know. I haven't thought about that enough. Um, I I think it is, and it, in when you say colorblindness, it's it's a specific metaphorical context. 
Um, yes, it needs like, to be defined. Yeah, I like Sam Harris's yeah. take on that, that it should be no more socially important than the color of your hair or the color of your eyes. Yeah. Um, and to, to go back to like, hey, will we ever be completely post-racial? No, and there are people today that are prejudiced against blonde hair or whatever. I mean, that's just, that's more the human nature. But mm -hmm. on a, a broad and policy level, um, that should have no bearing on anything, in my opinion. You know, your race or your eye color or your hair color. Yes, yeah. you know those are immutable characteristics that should have no uh, no bearing on you know what the what the system offers you, so to speak. Yeah, I know very true, and it'd here's be my hope. hope. Here's my Go hope ahead. for this whole thing is that as as we as as time goes by, um, hopefully people realize that this critical race theory specifically and the tactics that they're using um, are are their bullshit. Hopefully that will, mm -hmm. that will come to light and be self-evident. However, the conversation itself about race will continue. Yes. So we can look back and go, okay, yeah, that, that CRT stuff, the woke, remember the woke stuff, dude, that was crazy. We don't know what happened there, but it brought up good conversations. And I'll, I'll go back to uncomfortable conversations with a black man, uh, with Emmanuel Acho. Um, to me, that is... Uh, right in the spirit of what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. It's not a it's not a struggle session. It's not a shut up because you're white and you've had your time to talk and now we're talking and you know, any of that bullshit. But it is a genuine willingness to understand each other and to bring up the things that normally don't get brought up in say a white household. Yeah. And and just just to spread the empathy, to understand what someone else is going through, understand that maybe if you as a white person say a certain thing around a person of color, um, how they're going to take that, regardless of your intent, so that when you go into that, it's like, oh, okay, that would be really fucking rude for me to say. Right, it would exactly, not be an exactly. act of violence trying to destroy the person. No, it's just fucking rude. Don't do that. Don't be an asshole. Yeah. Those are the conversations that I think Will, will help culturally shift us in a very positive direction. So to me, that's the, you know, hopefully the, the baby that does not get thrown out with the bathwater that is CRT. That's my big hope. Mine too. And um, I, I think that, uh, I think two things. Um, uh, one, I think that we'll start to see that very slowly. I think we're seeing that a little bit with how the, um, that faction of the left has responded to the, um, the, uh, I think it was not Colorado, Atlanta, the, um, the Asian women who were killed by that young yeah. white kid yeah. who, uh, yeah. And so the, the reaction from that, I think is, is, is a good example of the mainstream public being a little confused about how people feel. Um, and to give a, like a, just a simple example of what I mean is that there's been a, a, a groundswell of support for the Asian community and Yes, I, I'm on board. Um, but I think people are confused when, um, you know, the, the woke ideal, the woke ideologists are on board and pushing this and saying, stop Asian hate and all this. When two years ago, they were condemning Asians for being white adjacent and being a part of white supremacy and essentially being the model minority and all of these things. Um, and so there's like, conflicting reports there where it's like the same people who are right now decrying Asian hate were two years ago saying that Asians weren't people of color. And, and I think, in fact, the um, the superintendent of 
San Francisco school districts was just recently fired. She's an extraordinarily woke individual trying to implement critical race theory and intersectionality into like kindergartners classes and stuff like that and was fired because three years ago she made similar comments about Asians. Um, and then there was uh, that young black woman for, I think like vanity or uh, variety magazine or teen 17, yeah. like for a magazine, teen she Vogue, was like a really teen Vogue. teen Vogue. Yeah. She was a really young um, editor. So she's 27. Um, and she was fired a young black woman. She was fired for um, making uh, what were deemed anti-Asian racist comments when she was in high school. So like 10 years ago, I don't remember the the joke she made exactly, but it was basically like, I think I got beaten math by an Asian, something like that. Like it just a, a stereotypical inappropriate joke and they fired her for it. And so it's like, there's none of that makes sense under the ideology. Like it makes right. sense because you said something mean. I don't know if you should be fired for something you said when you were 17, that's a separate argument, but it's like, under rational thought, it's like, yeah, you said something rude. Maybe you shouldn't have had your job three years ago. Or, but, you know, it was fine then. It's not fine now. But like, there's, there, so I think people are seeing that the cracks are forming because it doesn't right. hold up. Um, what I would, the second thing I would say, and this is unrelated to CRT, is um, I want to see a similar conversation um, or similar um, resolutions um, as it relates to the to the gay community in particular with the conservative Christians, because there's still a very big proportion of uh, conservative evangelical style Christians that are, that believe much more the conservative man and woman can only marry that sort of thing. Right. And um, there's some argument I suppose to be had given what it does say in the Bible about um, men and women lying together and they're uh, men, and, you know, people of the same sex uh, uh, getting married, sleeping together, that sort of thing. And, I know there's different interpretations on what the Bible meant and there's issues with who wrote it and why and what their motivations were. And there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of debate behind that, but um, I think we've reached a point in our culture where it, I don't understand why people give a shit. Yeah. Like I, 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 I just, think, well, I, I think it's an important distinction in that, and I agree with what you're saying, um, but the, it's one thing to, um, discuss and argue and try and change uh, governmental policies and, and how it is we collectively run this country versus mm -hmm. how someone feels on a private basis and what their yeah. own you know personal religion and philosophy and all that is. Um, I think in terms of what we should really fight against and kind of what you and I are speaking out against are things that um, affect the actual governing bodies and the institutions. And that's um, what I'm referring to is yeah. so I think there are that, still states that are pushing to, you know, to either, I believe there are not all states even allow gay marriage. Um, and there are states that are pushing to repeal those marriages from happening, you know, occurring. And, and right. it, it, it comes mostly from that, 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 uh, that Christian uh, conservative, right. And uh, that's, that, that's really what the problem, like, I don't care if individuals think it's wrong. And they're like, I just don't, um, that's not my thing. You know, I don't like yeah, that. I think it's, country. it's like, okay, whatever. Like I like women and I don't like men. Like uh, their feelings are a little bit stronger than mine. And I think they're slightly more discriminatory, but I think we're allowed to be discriminatory in our actions. And we face the consequences of those things, but that we're free individuals who are allowed to do that sort of thing. And if they want to, that's fine. Yeah. I don't like it, but they should be able to do it. But 
once that comes to, like you said, to affecting policy, it becomes a problem. Yes. You know, we have to have, you know, constraints, some, some constraints around what we can do as a society and as individuals, otherwise chaos reigns. But the, the issue is the same to me as is the issue between, say, whites and blacks. It's your people. You should have equality. Um, you should be able to do the same things that other people can. Um, it seems pretty clear to me. Uh, the only non-clarity is 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 the, the trans issue, which isn't one I'm comfortable going into because that's um, obviously a little bit more complicated. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, quite a bit. And, that could mean that episode yeah. in and of itself as well. Yeah, that's, that's that one's obviously situation. <laughs> that it that is yeah, and that, that's a definitely a very unique one. But um, I mean, I think that from from my recollection, when I was younger, a similar it was very similar with how people felt about the gay community, um, what it meant, um, how it whether it was biological or a choice, um, all those kinds of things, you know, there, there were issues of like, is this something we should recognize or not like all those. And so I think we're trying to figure that out and hopefully that gets figured out. Um, it works best for as many people as possible, but yeah, I, to go back to my original point, I, I would like to see a similar conversation, um, amongst the, those who are typically on the, on the right, from what I understand that with, when it comes to gay marriage, it's almost exclusively a, a conservative issue. Um, I would like to see that conversation had and that resolved because it, it really does. I, I don't understand um, from a policy standpoint why it's still a problem. But I'm also not a conservative Christian. I'm not really a Christian. I don't go to church, I, you know. And so it's uh, some of that stuff is lost on me, mostly just due to lack of knowledge. It just seems silly to me to not a lot of people who love each other to get married. It's like if, if yeah. that's what they want to do, then that's what they should be able to do. I don't. Well, from um, what I understand, and uh, I'm not you know, deep into conservative culture or anything, but in the last few you know, decades, which is really the time scale that changes like this have, have to happen, um, it's been very anomalous how fast things have changed in the last couple of years. But in general, um, change happens on a years and decades scale. Uh, even the conservative communities have gotten a lot more open-minded about yes, very true. just being gay in general. Um, yeah, you can you hit a sticking point with, you know, the what the your Bible or whatever your book is says specifically and whether or not you're going to have a religious ceremony in your religious building. Like, OK, I, there, there are arguments to be made for that. Of course, if it's a, you know, uh, a private church, then they are under no obligation to marry somebody that doesn't align with you know, their religion. That makes total sense. Um, as long as on the you know the state level so to speak that that contract that you make with the state which really is what a marriage license is i could go into that mm -hmm. but um that has no restrictions based on whether you're a same-sex couple or not um, yeah but for you know uh, like i said a, a private religion to make decisions on that and, and how they want to run that yeah, that's up to them. But overall, like I said, it's it appears to be trending in favor of being a lot more accepting of that. So it just takes a while. No, it does. And now, read Enlightenment now, because that's that's the, yeah. it talks about that type of stuff as well. Well, it also takes a while for people who um, temperamentally aren't um, 
are more aren't tilted towards change like well, conservatives some, some people are just gonna have to die and that's always yeah. how it's been they will be set in their ways forever yeah well they're not gonna yeah. live forever so eventually things change yeah and i mean conservatives temperamentally are less likely to um welcome or be willing to change than yeah. liberals and that isn't always true but it, it does t it does lean that way and so it's not surprising to me at all that this is actually an issue um it's in the name to be conservative. Yeah. You are conserving the way things are. So, yeah. Yeah. And they've worked. Here's the thing is that they've actually worked for society for a long time. Like you can rail against Christianity all you want. And, it, and fair enough, it deserves all the railing that it can get. But that doesn't mean that it hasn't worked for the vast majority of societies that have yep. implemented it for a very long time. And again, there are exceptions and there's obviously some inequality issues and some persecution issues and um, all that kind of stuff. But you, you hold that up to whatever it is that China has been doing for 6,000 years and it works better. <laughs> like, well, I, I'm just, sorry. In, like it, it just a, does in a game theoretical sense, it would not exist if it didn't. There's a reason right. it's so that, that's old what something is working. Yeah, exactly. And so you, you take something like that and it, it's got its problems, of course, and we should do all that we can to fix them. And then you take people who are temperamentally um, less likely to want to change those things if they're working, unless we can, or they, I shouldn't say we, they can um, implement a system that works, is proven to work better, which is hard. They're not going to be inclined to want to change the system. Yep. Sometimes I actually... Um, this is really when I get super meta or philosophical about it. I actually wonder if this is even for Christians or for conservatives, if this is actually even an issue of, of gayness itself, if it's more an issue of just being unwilling to change something because of how they are temperamentally. I'm sure that's in part that that is part of it, but um, it wouldn't surprise me though, if this was just more an issue of we don't like to see things that have worked change. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there like I could care less who you love. I just don't like seeing change, yeah. you know, and uh, whether that, whether that's a, a significant population, I don't know. But um, I'm sure that's a big part of it is that some people just have a really hard time with this is how things have worked. Now you want to change it completely. It's like um, I Which get that valuable. to a degree. Yeah. Just as, as a. Yes. Uh, no, it is. Yeah. Look at it, it's, you need both. You need people. You need, you need the progressives and the conservatives. You need people that are, they want to change everything and people that want to change nothing. So what that creates is basically it's like a selective pressure. So if something is going to change, hopefully it is a very good idea with a whole mm -hmm. lot of support. Like no, that, very true. That, that's a good kind of a, a, you know, breaks on the system, so to speak. Uh, and yeah, you need both. Very true. Um, I'm going to end. One, oh, you got to go. Yeah. Give, me, give me one positive. No, uh, Let's wrap it on a positive. I was going to give you. Okay. Yeah, I was going to okay. wrap it. I was going to give one positive on my end before, and I'll give you one before I wrap up because I got to take off soon. But okay. um, so my other positive, it has to do with, cause I, like I said, I went home and saw my parents. Um, this is the first time that I've uh, all pandemic that my girlfriend and I have actually been apart. Um, but this is the first time I think that I've. Um, been the one to voluntarily leave the apartment and then have to come back to it while she takes care of things that um, usually she's the one who goes away for a weekend or a week or whatever. Um, but I, I'm, the positive thing is, uh, is my girlfriend. Like I, um, having not, we've basically been in the same apartment for a year now without leaving. And it's been, um, 
it was really not only was it nice to get away just to be away because that's not something that i've done for a while but it was nice coming home to her and uh, um you know after like a day or two i was like i you know i miss my girlfriend i haven't seen her it's weird not seeing her every day like 20 hours out of the day you know <laughs> um basically the time i'm not working out or doing jujitsu like we're in the same place and so um and it kind of made me, I, I was really appreciative of, like I said, not have, not only having the time to get away because it's important, um, but also being able to come back and uh, missing her and then being happy to see her. And so to anyone who was listening, because I think most couples are going through, you know, all kinds of issues because you're stuck in the same house together. And um, especially if you're older couples who work a lot more than uh, millennials do um, and are more likely or more work driven. Like I know baby boomers are, um, you probably are sick of each other <laughs> because you're stuck inside. Um, but, uh, I would recommend that if you want a positive change to, uh, um, have one of you get out and go do something you've been wanting to do safely so that you can come back. Like that's important to, to do that on both fronts. It's like, it's good to get out and recharge. And like, I, I love to see my family. It was nice to actually stay somewhere besides my own house, my own apartment for a while, but also to come back. And, um, I remember, uh, I, I tried not to speed too much. because I've gotten a ticket before a couple of years ago and it was, um, as an old insurance agent, it was very embarrassing. Um, but like I found myself like wanting to speed way more coming home. Cause I wanted to get home to see my girlfriend. Yeah. I was like, I haven't seen her in th three days. Like I, I want to get home and see her. And, um, but it's hard to recreate that feeling if I don't leave. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so I, you know, I, I guess to reiterate like the positive, it's like, it's both being able to leave and having some time away, um, to not only have some time to myself or time with my family, but also to, um, re-realize what it is I'm missing back home and why I want to be at home and why I'm still with who I am and, um, you know, why I love her and that kind of thing. And so, um, for everyone out there, do that. Uh, so leave your spouse and then come back, I guess would be what I'm saying. Absence <laughs> makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah, absolutely. I knew that I knew there was a cheesy ass quote that I didn't want to look up <laughs> that had, that talked about that. I intentionally didn't look for it because it, because it was his, I expected it to be as cheesy as what you said. Um, Glad I could deliver. And and I'm not all I'm not I'm not about that cheesy riffraff. <laughs> Though my girlfriend does make fun of me. I've, I think in the last like six months I've watched like seven romantic comedies. Oh wow! Um, in the good. In, in the in, no, they're all bad, but uh, they're like funny. I find I don't know why I've found them very entertaining lately. But I think in the prior like six years of our relationship, we'd watched like one romantic comedy. Mm, gotcha. Um, and I think it was Goodwill Hunting. So, um, I don't know if that really counts as a romantic comedy. <laughs> I think that's more so, of a, like a dramedy type of thing. Yeah, 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 I do too. But uh, but yeah, so that's my positive. Um, not the romantic comedy part. The <laughs> yeah. the other part. Cool. All right. Well, I'll. Uh, well, I I should to get meta with it. I should uh, just again express my gratitude for these conversations. Um, the fact that we've, what is this, 52 or something? That we've. 32. 32, sorry, 52. 32. Um, we've done this consistently for almost every week. Uh, and particularly this conversation in um, looking for things to, to have gratitude towards and to be positive about definitely shifted my, my mind frame today. I'm feeling better now than just before we started the podcast. So I appreciate that. Me too, actually. Um, yeah. And thank you both for having that idea. 
and and thank all the listeners who you know stick around and uh, listen to us ramble for a while. Hopefully that you're you're getting even just a small bit of the value that Bo and I are getting out of uh, just doing this. Hopefully we can share that with you. So yeah, overall very good times. Yeah, me too. Uh, everyone, stay positive out there. Um, try a simple reframe. I mean, the world's not ending yet. Things will be okay. Um, and find someone you know and tell them you love them. Yeah. And give them, and give them a hug. Hugs, hugs work for some people. They don't work for me, so don't give me a hug. But they work <laughs> for some people. And so, um, you gotta if give you touch me, I'll ri- no. If you give me a hug, I'll wrist lock you. So. <laughs> all right everyone have a good rest of the day and the afternoon and the evening all right take care everybody